Well, this morning we're continuing in Mark chapter 11. We've been working our way through the gospel of Mark, and we come now to chapter 11, and you can see the title of the sermon this morning is The Unusual Arrival of a King. 1954, the U.S. Department of Defense made the anthem, Hail to the Chief, the official tribute to the President of the United States. It is played at the inauguration of a president, and whenever the president makes an appearance at any type of major public event. The anthem plays in the background by the U.S. Marine Band. And did you know that there are actually lyrics that accompany that anthem? They're rarely sung, but there are lyrics to it. And here's what the lyrics are that would be sung as the president is either inaugurated or is welcomed in at a public event. The words to this anthem, Hail to the Chief, says this, Hail to the Chief we have chosen for our nation. Hail to the Chief, we salute Him, one and all. Hail to the Chief as we pledge cooperation in proud fulfillment of a great noble call. Yours is the aim to make this grand country grander. This you will do. That is our strong, firm belief. Hail to the one we selected as commander. Hail to the president. Hail to the chief. In our text here this morning, we're going to see a crowd who is going to hail Jesus as king. But they don't shout out, hail to the chief. They're going to shout out, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. But as Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem with this crowd that's shouting Hosanna to their king, it was not a typical entrance by a king into a city. In fact, many people call this the triumphal entry. But as we're going to see here this morning, it's, it's not very triumphal. While they do shout Hosanna, no one crowns him as king. He doesn't march in and, and take a seat on the throne. In fact, as we're going to see, the Hosannas don't even last very long. If you're going to welcome a king into your city and hail him as king, what happens with Jesus and the crowd here is not how it would be done. This is a very unusual arrival for a king. And so let's pick up in our passage here this morning, and I'm going to read, starting in Mark chapter 11, verse 1. And follow along as I read our passage for us here. Mark 11 and verse 1 it says this, As they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage in Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door, 
outside in the street. And they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. So we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark, we've seen Jesus do all kinds of miracles. Many miracles. He's walked all over Israel and preached the Gospel, as that's what He came to do. He's called many people to repentance. He's chosen twelve disciples to be His. He's fed the hungry. He's healed the mute, the deaf, the demon-possessed. And as we saw last time in Mark chapter 10, He even healed the blind. We've seen Him not only as a preacher, but also as a teacher, as a rabbi, who's been training up His disciples to take the Gospel out to the world. And as I've been telling you now for a few months, Jesus has been doing miracles and performing miracles and doing all kinds of ministry, but He has been fixed on going to Jerusalem to be the Passover Lamb. He would be the Passover Lamb who would die for the sins of the world and He was fixed on going to Jerusalem. Well, the time has now come. It's now the final week of Christ's ministry before the cross. This is what we call the Passion Week. Jerusalem is in sight. The gates are near. And the King is coming into the city. But the entrance of this king is very unusual. Very unusual. It's not like the arrival of most kings. This arrival, as I said, is often called the triumphal entry. Some call it Palm Sunday. But that title, the triumphal entry, can be misleading. A misleading title that is found in your Bible that is not inspired, it was put there by the translators, but it's put there and and can be very misleading for us. And while we know this passage either by the title Palm Sunday or by the triumphal entry, as we work our way through this, we're going to see that there's nothing really triumphal about it. So let's set the scene Let's set the scene. And in order to set the scene, I want us to look at verse 1 and see what it says there. Look at what it says in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage in Bethany near the Mount of Olives. Stop right there. Now if you remember back at the end of Mark chapter 10, Jesus was in Jericho. 
He was there in Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho, he healed Bartimaeus and another blind man that was there with him. They were blind beggars who were sitting on the side of the road. Jesus is leaving Jericho, and he's making his way towards Jerusalem. It's the week before the Passover, and so there's thousands of people from all over who are also making their way towards Jerusalem. They would travel there for the Passover. The cities all around Jerusalem would be filled with people, filled with thousands of people as everyone is making their way to go to Jerusalem. And as Jesus is traveling there with his disciples, before he gets to Jerusalem, he makes a pit stop. He stops in the city of Bethany. Now, Mark doesn't give us this account, but John does. Matthew does as well. And in John chapter 12, we see where Jesus stops at Bethany, the hometown of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Matthew tells us that they were at the home of a man named Simon the leper, who was no longer a leper. He had been healed by God. And as they're having supper at Simon's home, Mary anoints Jesus with her perfume. You remember the story, Judas Iscariot gets upset because he sees how expensive it is and thinks she's wasting all of this perfume. It's costly perfume. But Jesus confronts Judas and tells him to leave Mary alone. And then John goes on and tells us that there was a, a large crowd of Jews who learned that Jesus was in Bethany and they wanted to go out and see Jesus. But they didn't want to just see Jesus. Who else did they want to see? Lazarus. They wanted to see Lazarus. Because word had spread that Lazarus was raised from the dead. He was dead for four days and brought back to life. And so they want to witness that. They come out and they want to see Jesus and they want to see Lazarus. But the chief priests wanted Lazarus dead. Because many Jews were believing in Jesus because of that account of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And so there's Jesus in Bethany at Simon's home with Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and the twelve, and a large crowd who has come out to see them. And that night, Jesus and the disciples stayed there in Bethany. Now, Bethany is located most likely on the southern slopes of the Mount of Olives, about two miles from Jerusalem. We don't know the exact location of Bethpage, but tradition locates it closer to Jerusalem than Bethany was. You can see that on the map that you were handed out this morning. There's a map there, and you can see the locations of Bethany and Bethpage. Bethpage was most likely on the western slope of the Mount of Olives, just across the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem. And so after they stay the night... And Bethany, the next day, as they're heading toward Jerusalem, they would have gone through Bethpage. And that's most likely where Jesus sends the two disciples to go and get the colt. To go and get the donkey. 
Now, as we work our way through the rest of this passage, I want to break this passage down into three scenes for us. The first one has to do with the cult. The cult. The second one has to do with the crowd. And the third one has to do with the city. So we're going to look at the cult, the crowd, and the city. And so let's look first at the significance of the cult. The significance of the cult. Look at verse 2. It says, And he, Jesus, said to them, that is the two disciples, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. And so Jesus tells these disciples what they are to do. Go into the village, most likely Bethpage, and immediately you will find a colt. But this isn't just any colt. This is a colt that has never been ridden before. Now Matthew tells us that they would find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. And that's important to note because if a colt was still with its mother, it would not have been broken in. It was an unused colt that had never been ridden before. Now why does that matter? What's the significance of that? What's the significance of a colt that's never been ridden before? Well, unused animals were regarded as being used for sacred purposes. For holy purposes. Set apart for holy purposes. And this donkey here, this colt, was going to carry the king of kings on it. It was being used for a sacred purpose. This was a holy moment, and so Christ needed a colt that had never been ridden before. Jesus, the Messiah, the creator of the world, was going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey as the sacrificial lamb of God whom John said would take away the sins of the world. So this was sacred. This was a holy moment. And he needed a donkey, a colt that had never been ridden before, to come riding in to Jerusalem on. And the colt was there in the city of Bethpage. Now there's something else that's significant about this account of the colt. The two disciples, notice, are told to go and find this colt. Go into the village there and go and find this colt. Now how did Jesus know that there was an unridden colt tied there with its mother in Bethpage? How did Jesus know this? He hadn't gone ahead of them to go and find out if there's a cult there in the village. He didn't send the disciples ahead of him. Hey guys, go out and, and try and find an unridden cult. How did Jesus know that an unridden cult was there? Because he's omniscient. Because he's all-knowing. And he puts that on display right here as he tells the disciples to go and find the colt in the village. He also puts on display his authority. Not only his omniscience, but also his authority. 
Everything that was taking place at this moment and everything that would take place during this entire Passion Week is exactly what God had planned. It's exactly God's plan. Christ is in complete control of this situation. Listen, nothing that happened on the Passion Week took Christ by surprise. He wasn't surprised by any of it. Everything was happening according to plan. Just as God had planned it. Remember what Jesus said back in Mark chapter 10. Look at Mark chapter 10 and verse 33. Mark 10 verse 33, Jesus is talking to the twelve and He says this, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn Him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. Jesus knew the plan. And everything is happening according to plan. The plan is being accomplished just as God had planned it from eternity past. It's all coming to pass. And so as they go into the village of Bethpage, Jesus says that if anyone asks them what they're doing in tying this donkey, they're just supposed to answer, the Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it. Jesus basically says, don't worry. Don't worry about it, guys. When you say that, they'll, they'll let you take the young colt. That's all you need to say. So what do they do? Look at verse 4. Mark 11 and verse 4. Look at what it says there. They went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them and they gave them permission. And so these two disciples go, they find the colt, they walk up to the colt and they begin to untie the colt. And the bystanders are there. Luke tells us that these are actually the owners of the colt. And they ask him, what are you doing untying the colt? What are you doing, guys? And what do the disciples say? The Lord has need of it. Don't try that the next time you want to steal something from somebody. (laughs) It doesn't work today. But it worked for them then. And what do the owners do? They let him take the colt. Now, why would the owners let them take this unused colt? Obviously, they knew who Jesus was. When they say the Lord has need of it, those owners know who the Lord is. These owners know that the Lord is Jesus Christ. Jesus was popular. People knew who He was. And so they knew who He was and they said, the Lord has need of it. And they said, okay, take Him. He's yours. So they take the colt and look at verse 7, what it says there. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it and He sat on it. Jesus needed the colt and so they went and got the colt. They brought the colt back to Jesus And since it didn't have a saddle and had never been ridden before, to add some cushion for Jesus, the disciples put their coats on it so that Jesus could sit on it. 
and write it into Jerusalem. Now there's more significance to why Jesus rode a colt of a donkey. Listen to what one commentator says about the colt. Riding a donkey was a kingly act which identified Jesus with the royal line of David. It was a royal animal during King David's reign. But after him, the Hebrew king switched to horses and the donkey was considered unsuited to the dignity of kings. Another commentator says, when Israel's rulers wanted to present themselves as servants of the people, they rode donkeys. And when they acted as military leaders, they rode horses. And so seeing Jesus riding in on a colt meant that he was not coming in as a military leader in triumph. But he's coming in as a humble servant of the people. And what would have been shocking to this crowd is that they are expecting the Messiah to come as the conquering king. They're expecting the Messiah to come and save them from the Romans and establish the kingdom. That's what they were wanting from the Messiah. But Jesus doesn't do that. He's not riding a horse. He's riding a donkey. A lowly donkey. A colt. And so even the visual of Christ riding in on a donkey... That visual was not a sign of triumph of a king, but humility of a servant. And that's exactly who Christ is, right? That's who He is. He's the suffering servant who came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. But in their view, He should be mounted on a horse, not a colt. They wanted a political Messiah. They wanted a king who was on a conquest to conquer the Romans so that the Jews would rule. They were wanting the kingdom to be established right then and they were expecting Christ to come in and establish it. So this is an an unusual arrival of a king. Not the triumphal entry that they thought they would have. And so this cult has great significance in this scene. It's being used for a sacred purpose. The very fact that Jesus knew where this cult was shows His omniscience and His authority. And riding it on a donkey shows that He's a humble King who came as a servant. But there's one more thing that's significant about this cult. Hold your finger in Mark and turn over to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. This is Matthew's account of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. And in Matthew 21 and verse 4, look at what it says there. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. What is Matthew quoting here? Matthew is quoting 
Zechariah 9.9. He's quoting Zechariah 9.9. This was prophesied 500 years before Jesus would come riding into Jerusalem. The daughter of Zion, that's Jerusalem there, mounted on a colt. Jesus was riding into Jerusalem to fulfill exactly what was prophesied about him. That he would come to Jerusalem riding in, not on a horse, but on a colt, a donkey. Will Jesus ride on a horse? Listen to Revelation 19.11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. Yes, Jesus will come again. And when he comes again, he will ride on a horse to judge and to make war. But Jesus came into Jerusalem the first time. Not to wage war, but to die as a sacrifice for our sins. He came as a humble and a gentle servant as Zechariah prophesied 500 years before. And that's why this is not really a triumphal entry. It's a humble entry of a king who would ride in on a donkey not only to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah, but also to die. He didn't come to establish His throne. He came to be nailed to a cross. He didn't come to put on a crown of gold, but to put on a crown of thorns. He didn't come as the conquering Messiah, but as the crushed Messiah, who Isaiah says would be crushed for our iniquities. And that's why He came riding into Jerusalem on a colt. But the crowd still has some sense of his Messiahship. There's a sense of Messiahship. Many in the crowd saw the miracles that he had done and would at this point still hail him as the Messiah. In fact, Luke even says, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen. They saw the miracles and they shouted joyfully, He is the Messiah! Which leads to our second point. Point number two, the shout of the crowd. Turn back to Mark chapter 11. And look at verse 8. Mark 11 verse 8. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. Jesus is making his way down the Mount of Olives, riding on a colt, on a donkey. And as he's coming down to enter into Jerusalem, there is much excitement from the crowds. Lots of excitement. Lots of shouting that's going on. They want the Messiah to come. They want the Romans conquered. They want the kingdom to be established. And so they spread their coats on the road. Now why would they do this? Why would they spread their coats on the road? One commentator says it was in ancient practice of welcoming a new sovereign, a new king. They're welcoming him in as the king. It was an act to pay homage to a royal king. 
The crowd at this point recognized Jesus in some fashion as a king, as the Messiah, and even as the king of the Jews. Mark goes on and says that they put branches on the ground. John tells us some of the branches were palm branches, which is where we get Palm Sunday from. Although chronologically, it's most likely Monday when this took place. Although we won't change it to Palm Monday. We'll still celebrate Palm Sunday. But this is most likely Monday when this would have taken place. Because Monday would have been the day that they, the people would have been selecting the sacrificial lambs for the Passover. That was the day that the people in the city were selecting their own lambs to be sacrificed for Passover that would be coming on Friday. Exodus 12 verse 3 says, On the tenth of this month, that is the tenth of Nisan, they are each to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. On the tenth, they are to do that. And the tenth of the month would have been Monday as the 14th of the month would have been Friday. And according to Exodus 12, verse 6, it says, you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. So Monday is the 10th. And while the people are selecting their lambs to be sacrificed for Passover, the ultimate sacrifice the ultimate Lamb of God was making His way into the city. God had selected His sacrifice for the sins of the world. And He's making His way into the city as they spread their coats and their branches on the ground for Him to walk over. And as they spread those out, look at verse 9 and what it says there. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. There were people who were following behind Jesus and there were crowds who came from Jerusalem. That's what Mark is saying here. There are crowds that are following Jesus from Bethany through Bethpage. They're with Him, but there's also crowds of people who are leaving Jerusalem, running out from the gates of Jerusalem to come out and see what's going out. What's going on outside the city there. And so those who went in front were those who came out from Jerusalem to see all of the commotion. What's going on out there? And they then joined the crowd that was with Jesus and they all began to shout out, Hosanna! Now why Hosanna? Why would they shout out, Hosanna? Well, Hosanna is a word that means, save now, we pray, or give salvation now. It, come, it comes from Psalm 118.25. And in Psalm 118.25, it says, O Lord, do save, we beseech you. That phrase, do save, we beseech you, is Hosanna. And so the people are beseeching God with a shout, with a cry of Hosanna. As they're appealing to God for divine help and deliverance through the Messiah, through Jesus, who's right there riding in front of them on a donkey. 
And then they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which comes directly from Psalm 118, verse 26. This is a reference to Christ being the Messiah. It's not a title for Messiahship, the one who comes in the name of the Lord, but it's a reference to Him, the one who comes or the coming one. It's a reference to the Messiah. He's the one that they've been waiting for. He's the Messiah they've been waiting for, and they acknowledge that. In fact, Luke tells us that they shouted, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. They even recognize that He's a King. He's the King who is mounted on a colt. And Jesus is the one who is bringing in the promised messianic kingdom. The kingdom that was promised to David. And that's why they shout out, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. They're wanting to see the Davidic covenant fulfilled. The promise that God made to David. Back in 2 Samuel 7. He's the fulfillment of it. Here He is. He's bringing in the kingdom. We're going to conquer the Romans and we're going to establish the kingdom because our king is here. And then they repeat, Hosanna. But notice they add something there. Hosanna in the highest. Now this is not a shout of praise to Jesus. This Hosanna in the highest is a prayer to God. To God who is in the highest heavens. Essentially, they're saying, save us now. May our prayers reach up to the highest heavens where God is. They wanted God to save His people now that the Messiah has arrived. Now again, for them, this is in a political and a national sense. Not in a spiritual sense. It was a national salvation that they were looking for. So that's the shout of the people. The crowd who had been following Jesus from Bethany and through Bethpage and the crowd who has come out to Jerusalem to meet Jesus outside of the city, their cry was, Hosanna. And oftentimes we hear this word, Hosanna, and we sing songs with the word Hosanna in it, right? We sing those songs. And we think about salvation from sins. A spiritual salvation. To be saved from our sins. And what the people are crying out here sounds like it was a a genuine cry of spiritual salvation. But it wasn't. It wasn't. This shout of the people was not a cry for spiritual salvation. Sure, they wanted salvation, but not in the sense of what Christ came to offer. They wanted salvation their own way. This wasn't a genuine cry for spiritual salvation of the people. In fact, it was an empty cry from empty hearts. How do we know? Turn over to Mark 15. A few pages to your right. Mark 15 and verse 8. Look what it says in verse 8. This is Jesus before Pilate. Verse 8, it says this, The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. Pilate answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? That's who he is, right? You want me to release him? 
for he was aware that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. Answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, Crucify him. But Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. Just days before, the crowds were outside of the city of Jerusalem shouting out Hosanna. But what are they shouting now? Crucify him. The shouts of Hosanna were empty shouts from empty hearts. Sure, maybe they thought that Jesus was the Messiah, but they didn't see him as their Savior. And you know what? God answered that prayer of those people that day as they were outside of the city gate shouting out Hosanna. Save us now. God answered that prayer. God answered that prayer by sending His Son to go and die on a cross for their sins. To bring salvation to all who would repent and believe in Christ. But these people there, they rejected the salvation that God offered and they crucified their Savior. Look, to many it looks like a a triumphal entry. But this was in all reality a very unusual entry for a king. So not only have we seen the significance of the cult and the shout of the crowd, but finally let's look at the stir of the city. The stir of the city. Go back to Mark chapter 11 and look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, Jesus entered Jerusalem. Let's stop right there. In order to understand what happened when Jesus came into the city, we need to look at Matthew's account. Matthew gives us a few more details. The people in the city are still talking about Jesus, but there's confusion about him now as he enters into Jerusalem. Let me show you. Turn over to Matthew 21. Go back to Matthew 21 and look at verse 10. As Matthew gives us this account of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, look at what it says in Matthew 21.10. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Notice this. The city is stirred. The people are asking who this man was. Obviously, people could see all of the excitement that was going on with Jesus. All the excitement that was going on around him. But many people there in Jerusalem, they weren't from them. They weren't from there. They had traveled in for the Passover. And so they're looking around and they're going, who is this? What's all the excitement about? They wanted to know who Jesus is. And how did the crowds respond? The crowds who were outside of the city shouting Hosanna. How did they respond? Look at what it says. They said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Look at all of the things that they know about Jesus. They knew that He was the prophet. Not just a prophet, but He was the prophet. 
most likely referring to the prophet from Deuteronomy 18 that Moses refers to, where God tells Moses that the Israelites, that he will raise up for them a prophet. And they know that this would be referring to the Messiah. And the crowds are telling the people, it's him. It's the prophet. It's the Messiah. They even know his name. It's Jesus. They know what town he's from, where he grew up. He grew up in Nazareth. And they know the region out in Galilee. But listen, knowing all of that about Jesus isn't enough. It's not enough. It's not enough to know the facts about Jesus. You must place your faith in Jesus. They might know who Jesus is, but they never became disciples of Jesus. One commentator says, multitudes often seem to approve the gospel, but few become consistent disciples. And I believe many of them were proclaiming this because they were just following the crowds. They saw the crowd coming down the Mount of Olives with Jesus and many ran out to join in the parade. All this excitement that's going on. And in this moment of excitement and emotions raging, they were shouting that Jesus is the King, He's the prophet. But soon they would be shouting, crucify Him. Listen, superficial faith leads to superficial worship. Superficial faith leads to superficial worship. And this is what these people are doing. And you know there's a lot of people like this today. Churches that are full of people with superficial worship with emotional experiences, and then they go out to the world and they're afraid to name the name of Jesus. Their Christianity is one big emotional experience with no substance. They might claim to have a faith, but there's no object of that faith. Christ is not the Lord of their life. He's not their Savior. And they're deceived into thinking that they will make it to heaven because they go to church and have emotional experiences. And they know a lot about Jesus. But that won't get you into heaven. Listen, you must answer the question, who is Jesus? Is He Lord of your life? Is He the King of your heart? Is He your Savior? Or is He just a Savior? Is He just a prophet? Just a good teacher? Who is Jesus? You must answer that question. And everyone will be held accountable for that very question. 
Is he Lord of your life? If he's not, I urge you today to repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And you can have eternal life if you come to Christ today. Not just knowing about him, but putting your faith in him. Trusting in him for your salvation. Is he your savior? Come to him today. Back in Mark chapter 11, verse 11, Mark continues on and he says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and he came into the temple. Jesus dismounts from the colt and comes into the city. And what does he do? He goes right to the temple. Now this was not the sanctuary, the inner temple. That's not where he goes, but he goes to the outer courts of the temple, known as the court of the Gentiles. That's the place where non-Jews and foreigners could go. The Gentiles could go, and they could hang out there in this outer court of the temple. And what was he doing there in the temple? He's scoping the place out to see what the Jews had done with it. If you remember back in Jesus' early ministry, back in John chapter 2, we read about Jesus cleansing the temple. He made a whip and he started driving out all of the money changers and turning over their tables. And now three years later, they're back at it. Just as corrupt as they were before, they're back selling sacrifices and profaning the temple. They had turned worship into a business and were profiting off of the people. And Jesus looks around at all of this stuff that's going on there and he's observing all that the Jewish leaders had done with the temple. They'd profaned it. They'd made a mockery of it. And Jesus is scoping this out. He's observing. Matthew tells us that while Jesus was there in the outer courts, he healed some blind and lame people that were there in the temple. There were even children who were there that were shouting out, out Hosanna to the son of David. The kids around in the temple courtyard there are shouting out Hosanna to the son of David. And what do the chief priests do? They come up to Jesus and they say, tell them to shut up. And what does Jesus say? Out of the mouth of babes, they will praise me. The children are shouting out Hosanna to the son of David. The city is stirred up. The people are confused. What's going on here? Who is this man? He's the prophet. He's Jesus of Nazareth. And the city is confused. But the children knew who Jesus was. And the chief priests and the scribes are not happy that Jesus is there. And so Mark tells us in verse 11, and after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. I'm telling you, this was unusual. Look at how fast all of the excitement of Jesus just disappears. It's gone. What happened to all of the shouting? Where were all the people who were shouting Hosanna and proclaiming that he's the prophet? 
Jesus had just come down the Mount of Olives, crossed the Kidron Valley, finally enters into Jerusalem as the king, and no one gave him the keys to the city. No one took him to go and find a throne. No one took Christ to get him a crown. No one was shouting Hosanna anymore. Except for the children. And yet they had just hailed him as their king. But it was getting late. So Jesus scopes out the temple and then he leaves the city and he goes on a two-mile trip back to Bethany to go out and stay there with the twelve. There was no fanfare to follow him. There were no more shouts of Hosanna from the people. Jesus just quietly leaves Jerusalem and heads back to Bethany with his disciples. What an unusual arrival for a king, right? And what made this so unusual? It wasn't Jesus. It wasn't Jesus who made it unusual. He came to them as their king. He came as their Messiah. He came as the son of David. He was fulfilling exactly what was prophesied about him. Listen, what made this so unusual was the superficial faith of the people. A people who wanted a conquering king who would save them from Rome. They wanted a Messiah who would do what they wanted Him to do for them. They didn't want a Savior who would save them from their sins. Because to them, that's not what they needed. They were self-righteous Jews. They don't need to be saved from sin. But that's exactly what they needed, right? They needed a humble king. They needed a Messiah. They needed a Savior who would save them from their sin. And that's why He came to them. And that's what He came to do. To save people from their sins. But listen, Jesus didn't meet their expectations and so what did they do they rejected him they rejected him as their king and they would soon be shouting for his execution listen you can't come to jesus on your own terms that's not how it works he's not your personal genie He's not the one who's going to fulfill all of your dreams and all of your purposes that you have in life. It doesn't work that way with Jesus. Either He is your King or He is not. Either He is Lord of your life or He is not. And if He is your King, then submit to Him as King and obey Him as King, and proclaim Him as King, and worship Him as King, because He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Well, Jesus wasn't done in Jerusalem. There was still more to do during the Passion Week. and We'll look at more of what He did next time. Let's pray. Father, thank You for our time here. 
this morning and looking at this amazing arrival of Christ who came humble and low, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, who was there fulfilling the prophecy that was written about Him. And Lord, the people expected Him to come and save them from Rome, but they had something that was far greater that they needed to be saved from. From their own sin. From an eternity in hell. And Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here this morning that is not saved, I pray that You would help them to realize and recognize their greatest need. That their need is to be saved from their sin. Father, I pray that You would grant them repentance and faith in Christ who came into Jerusalem on that Passion Week to give up His life and to die as a sacrifice for our sins. Father, we thank You that He did not stay dead, but that He rose again on the third day, and that He lives today, and that He is seated at Your right hand, and we know that He will come again, mounted on a horse, who will come as the conquering King, who will establish His throne and rule and reign forever. Father, we look forward to that day. Lord, until that day comes, I pray that You would help us to live as those who would be obedient to our King. That we would serve Him and love Him and submit to Him and worship Him for who He is, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray all of this in His mighty name. Amen.